Coming to you from Podcast Detroit, it's Heard, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. Heard is a collaboration between the Hungry Dudes, Nick Drinks, and the Detroit Optimist Society. Each week, we interview industry professionals about issues related to food, beverage, and hospitality. Please take a moment to subscribe to Heard through the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, SoundCloud, or however you subscribe to your podcasts. Write a review and let us know what you think. For additional content, including awesome videos and photos, visit HerdPodcast.com, like Herd Podcast on Facebook, and follow at Herd Podcast on Instagram. We appreciate your support and hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Herd. Hello, friends, and welcome to Herd, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. I'm Joe Hakeem, and tonight, it's rare, I'm on my own. Uh, Jason, Nick, and Vato are all out of town, but I do have a guest, a very special guest, the chef owner of Lady of the House in Corktown, Kate Williams. Hi, Hello. Kate. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being with me. <laughs> uh, so, how are you? Good. Good, 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 good. Yeah, how are you? Awesome. Specifically because, well, you're here, one, two, <laughs> today's National Gin Day. Yeah, that is, um, that's destiny. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, I, I'm, I'm, you have a, uh, a couple different things here, but th- the most important part of this uh, combination is this Lady of the House Gin mm-hmm. um, that was uh, distilled and bottled by Detroit City Distillery. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you tell me a little bit of how this came to be? Yeah, so I feel like it's a longer story than the actual production. So I would say that I, I sort of grew up on gin, right? If that makes sense, that it was in my that's what my dad drank. So when I was breaking into his liquor cabinet, that's what I grew up I, drinking, right? Yeah. Got it. In high school, um, but but I've always been a gin drinker, and then. The past two years before Lady opened, I was doing dinners around the country and then also monthly dinners in Detroit and Detroit City Distillery sponsored them. So I would always have their cocktails and they would send bartenders and kind of mix stuff in pair. Um, And so it just made sense. I kind of asked them and I was talking to my dad. I was like, wouldn't it be funny if like we made a gin, whatever. And they were totally down with it. And then um, when we... When we were open in the opening process of Lady, I hired my my best. The best decision of my life was hiring Christian Satchel and kind of brought him into the mix and was like, let him loose on it. And so this is really like it was kind of a dream before that. But this is really his. So his so who, Christian production. is your. He's our beverage director okay. slash general manager at Lady. OK, so this is his his baby. Kind of? Well, I mean, he distilled it. I didn't Dist- distill okay. it at all. Oh, we yeah, talked okay. about, you know, what do we want out of this gin? We want we want the ultimate, what we think is the ultimate gin for a martini, right? Just like a dirty martini up uh, with olives um, and kind of some herbal notes that we wanted. But really, like from there, Christian's palate took it and made it what it is. And he was, I only went on like one tasting and had no notes. I was just like, yeah, this is delicious. And then they brought it into the, they went and distilled it and the large batch that you see now. Do you know any of like the nerdiness of like, I know gin's a neutral spirit with botanicals, right? So like, do you Mm -hmm. know any of the botanicals that are in it? Yeah, I know we did. um, 
Oh, I should have asked Christian before this if I, <laughs> what I'm allowed to say, right? So, I, I mean, obviously there's juniper. Okay. There's no rosemary, which is funny because I feel like some people taste rosemary. Um, there's some coriander, obviously, a little cardamom. I really wanted there to be a chamomile, but it just didn't work out. It like okay. tasted super weird, and so we had to eliminate it immediately. Um, it, it's sort of supposed to be like foresty, but but not hot. Do you know what I mean? Like when gin is hot, you can taste it like Yeah. What about what am I describing hot as? Well, you would know. It's like, like a, it's like the burn, right? Like yes. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the alcohol. Yeah, the alcohol like, burn. So Thank is you. it and this is uh it's eighty eight proof, so that's a little below I mean it's usually ninety, right? Usually forty five percent A B V. Yeah. So it's a little Yeah. yeah. Um so you brought along with you the, a bottle of the gin. You have something. Uh, this is a vermouth scarpa. Yeah. So so we have this scarpa vermouth and orange bitters, which okay. is these three components, and then to garnish with an olive is what we make our martini with our like house martini, uh-huh. and it is my favorite. So we have a shaker here. Are you gonna? I'm gonna shake do one this. Up? I'm okay. gonna get back to my bartending days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so can you uh, can you pour and like kind of give a play by play of how this is gonna. How's it going to go? How it's going to go? Yeah. I don't know. Well, let's, we'll see. Let, see. I can't promise no spills. <laughs> <laughs> so, it is. And we don't have a shaker. Yeah, we got a shaker. Oh, we do. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. We don't have a, a jigger. Oh, no. No. Yeah. You have, to, you have to eyeball it. That's all right. I'm, I'm certain that the those of us in the room don't really care if it's strong. <laughs> <laughs> right. So is this uh, your most popular cocktail right now? It is. I mean, we have a section on our menu that is just our lady of the house gin and it's been it's been doing really well Uh we actually just sent in for our next batch to be made that christian's working on along with jp the head distiller at detroit city distillery and then um we we didn't know it was going to be this soon but other places besides us because it's sold through the state of michigan other places have bought it and sold it in stores and stuff that we don't know of yeah but you know, they're just, they're allowed. It's allowed. So that's fascinating. Yeah. So it's been, it's been really, that's super cool. Except now we're like, oh shit, we got to make a new. Yeah. New so, so it's, it's in the, obviously in the book then and people yes. can just, wow. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. So how, how much did you make? Do you know? Ooh, I don't remember actually. No, no, sorry. Oh no, be sorry. It's fine. So you're shaking. I'm going to yeah. take a photo while this is happening. <laughs> I wish you were. Th- I wish I had three. Right. <laughs> I think this is the first time we've had a cocktail shaken on the air, so that that's that's good. Um, so let's. Uh, I'm excited to try this. Do you like, you want some, Jess? Yes, please. <laughs> All right. What's up, calls? All right. So. Um, how are things going at Lady of the Lady of the House? Are, are things crazy still? They are. They're still crazy. I mean, we're in week eight. So I I have heard that as a chef owner that by week 12, like you come out of the blur of things. Okay. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, it's been it's been crazy. <clears throat> you know, there's no. So this is the third restaurant I've opened as the chef, but the first as an owner. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone is different. It's just like a different animal. It's a different beast. You know what I mean? Um, so let's, let's talk about that. Let's step back. And, um, so I met you years ago 
at, at Rodin, which is where um, Chartreuse is now, mm-hmm. right? Um, I love Chartreuse. Yeah, so do I. Um, and, but let's talk about Rodin for a minute and like how that came to be and um, how that ultimately ended. Yeah, well, so I had moved back to Michigan. Uh, there was a death in the family and I was private chefing and kind of figuring out my next move. I thought it was going to be back to New York and then... I re- I moved downtown or I moved to Midtown in the Park Shelton uh, with a good friend and uh, we had both lived in New York together, Chicago together, not living together but at the same time, and we just fell back in love with Detroit. I mean, I I came downtown all the time with my family. They all my parents both grew up in the city, uh, but it was just different. And that was what was that two thousand ten two thousand ten. And the opportunity, so I was figuring out what I was going to do next, and the opportunity of opening Rodin came about. Um, Midtown Inc. was involved, our leasing manager was involved, and uh, I met the owner, Toria Blanchard, who is still, I believe, the most colorful person in Detroit. <laughs> she is, she very much is. Um, and it was And it was my first... It was my first executive chef job, but it was also the first opportunity I had to like kind of get my hands dirty in like the building of a restaurant process, like how far away the studs have to be in a commercial building. Like what what are the codes for flooring in the kitchen? How far away do the floor drains have to be, et cetera? I mean, so it was an, an incredible learning experience in that regard. And so you were there for a couple years? That- no, I was there for a year. A year. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, was that around the time that you started to – Republic started to like become an yeah, idea? Yeah. It, it was in that year that I um, became good friends with the owners of the GAR building and just started – sort of started brainstorming about what we – if we wanted to do a restaurant together, what would that be or if they wanted to – just lease out that building because they weren't restaurant people, you know. Um, so yeah, we were in those planning stages, I guess. And yeah, that was. I'm trying to. The timeline's a little blurry at this point, but well, it, it I, was that it was that year of 2012 to 2013. Okay, and then <clears throat> and then there was a lot. So one of the things that seems to follow you and and uh, I find quite interesting is that there's this uh, there's always a lot of press following you. Right. Yeah. How do you, um, what do you attribute that to? I don't know. I've sometimes I'm like laughing. I'm like, if anybody quits their job, there's like not a news article. <laughs> like, why am I getting, you know, whatever. But, uh, you know, food is hot and just everywhere in the country right now. The Detroit scene is small. For some reason, my choices have been very colorful, right? Or, or something. Uh, I don't know. And there's not been that there's uh, now there are a lot more. But at the time, especially with Rodin, there was not many female chefs in the actual city of Detroit that were kind of making moves like that. So not not I'm not talking about the food aspect, but just like making moves of changing restaurants like that. Yeah, I think um, I mean, besides the fact that you're a badass, like people kind of like I think they know that about you. But it's like the the whole Republic thing was. um there was a lot of publicity behind because that building, the, yeah. the, the Gar building, was essentially restored. Right? It was. Yeah. It had been vacant for decades. I think decades. I feel like the last tenant was 
don't quote me on this, but I think it was the late 80s or something. And and the work that they did on that was uh, just amazing. I mean, the building looks fantastic. The restaurant looks fantastic. So, yeah, there was a lot, a lot of press around that. And it was, um, what year did that open? Was that 2014? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, it was. Yeah. Um, and so w- <clears throat> when you left that job, being the high-profile uh, situation that it was, um, there was also this it seemed to me like a almost a point to make uh almost a a feud between you and Sarah Welch who was on one of our was a, a past guest on on our show here um i uh i never really gathered that it, there was a feud but uh what was <clears throat> I, was there no you know the way i actually was just talking with sarah yesterday i don't think that we thought it was a feud i mean sarah and i were friends before and friends after for me, it was such a, dram- like, not dramatic, but it was such a, like, it was a, it was a terrible decision for me to have to leave. I felt like that was my baby and, you know, just, that's a lot. Like, it had been two plus years of planning it and then when it came down to it and I had, I felt like I had to quit, Um, yeah, that, that fucking sucked, yeah. you know? So, yeah. so then I've built this staff and... And team around me and, you know, that some of the team had left before me, some of the other managers that I still love and respect um, had left before I did. And I was trying to stay a little bit longer than I did. But um, I think that people who stayed to make it work kind of had to justify and I've never talked to anybody about this. This is like the first thing I'm, the first time I'm saying this publicly. I feel like a, people who stayed maybe had to justify or ha- there had to be a villain in the situation in order for them to stay. And mm-hmm. I feel like I was right or wrong vilified in that. Mm-hmm. And I don't, it doesn't really matter to me because I'm happy and it was a good move for me. And I hope that it was a good move for everybody who stayed or, you know what I mean? Right. Whatever. I mean, Republic is still successful. And Matt uh, Curry, who I hired as one of my sous chefs, is the executive chef now. Yep. And, you know, I think he's doing amazing. So. To me, there was no feud. It was just, I think that was like the, the, the press kind of, yeah, yeah, getting out of control. Yeah, it was, that was like just my decision. Like, you know what? I'm not happy. I'm not like professionally fulfilled. I'm not personally fulfilled and I'm not my best right now. So how do I make that change? And I don't know that I can make changes here. At at that point, once you left there, uh, were you pretty set in that the next place you were going to go to is going to be your own place? Yes. 100%. One hundred percent. Would there have been? Do you think any pushback? So you had, you left Rodan after a year. You left Republic after a few months, right? Like it was after open. It was three months after we officially opened. Yeah, but we had been the team was on full from November on. So that was November, December, January, February. So that was almost five months. Five months of it, of full team, and then you know, two years before that. Yeah. And I was going to say, like, I, I feel like people like when, when you, you, you go from open to, to you're leaving is a few months, but like there was years prior to that. that yeah. you guys, and so you guys had a pretty probably uh tumultuous relationship throughout those two and a half years Um that, that like, I, I don't think people can uh really grasp because all of it was behind the scenes. Right? Yeah. And not to say it was all, I mean, you know, you made it, you opened the restaurant and then yeah. it's just like, yeah. Yeah. So. And I think, you know, when, when people are investing money in a restaurant, there's like a, 
there's a lot of different reasons why people do it. But at the end of the day, it is like an incredibly expensive project and tension is high. Emotions are high. Everybody, you know what I mean? So like all of that comes into play. And especially if you're, you know, folks who have never done it before. Um, so yeah, it was, I mean, tumultuous. I don't know if I want to say, but just, it was an it was the opening of a restaurant and that that process is what taught me like okay i'm ready to do this like i've been fucking in restaurants since i was 14 years old stop working for other people because you're not going to be happy you're not, you, you know what you think is the right way to do something you know and like take care of your employees and put these systems in place so so i think that was that was at the root of our interactions it's just this is how stuff should be done. And it's hard to communicate that when folks who've not worked in restaurants are, you know, I think it was Travis Formant who said to me once, and this has stuck with me a bunch that once you're, if you are ready to open a restaurant, that means that you have no money because you've been working in restaurants (laughs) your whole life. And if you have money to open a restaurant, that means that you've never worked in restaurants. So you know what I mean? That's how you have the money. So like finding that balance is, is hard sometimes. I mean, and it really just is about personality. Like I would imagine it's like any other industry. It's like all the best intentions from all sides, but it's just, yeah. Finding the right pieces of that puzzle. And restaurants are particularly difficult because they're, especially in Detroit right now, because they're, they're really hot. A lot of them are open. And, um, the the long game and, and vision isn't put forth before op- like it seems fun to open a restaurant uh i mean you know i know like there there's really it, it can be fun if you're passionate about it but but from a bottom line perspective it's fucking terrible it's terrible because you're looking at like all this investment and th- there has to be at least a couple years before even anything starts coming back and if you're trying to uh profit immediately no matter how much money you put in, um, right. you're, you're in for a sore, sore realization, right? Right. And you know, it's like it's a dime on the dollar, right? If you're if you're great, and I think that's I think that's probably been a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people. I'm I would imagine, but you know, the nice thing about the Detroit industry and why I knew I wanted to have a restaurant here is it's there's still a lot of like owner operated you know, sort of like dream places. You know what I mean? Like people had this dream of it and they own it and operate it. And I have no other illusions about what it's going to be or showing off whatever they're, there still like grinding, whatever. I mean, I think that's, that's something that I really love about our city. So let, let's talk about your dream. Let's talk about lady at the house. Let's go like as deep into this whole thing as you want, because I, I I'm fascinated by this kind of, choice you make to leave Republic, which is high profile, Mm -hmm. and you know in your heart that you're going to start your own place. Did you, was Lady of the House the project right from the beginning? Like you knew this was going to happen, like it's it's some, some elements of it in your head once you left Republic. Um, so I'm trying to think back. (laughs) I'm thinking back on my last day at Republic. So I had so I had plans to leave and then something happened and there was 
some meeting and I remember like texting my dad and my ex-boyfriend like at like seven in the morning that day. I'm like, today's the day I'm going to leave. Like I, I was trying to stay through September, but today's the day. Like I just blah, blah, blah. And that was it. Like so that I just like I knew this wasn't right and I had to move on. And then I had no other plans. Like the only thing was that I knew I wanted to do. I wanted to figure out why I liked cooking again and why I was in this industry. And I knew that it had to be, you know, something where I was cooking every day and really like felt a connection to the guests. And that was it. That's all I knew. I didn't have investors. I didn't have a space, nothing. So, so I spent, a, I mean, so there was like two years from when I left Republic to when Lady opened um, and I spent a bunch of time figuring out a why I cook and b why people f- like like to go out to eat and and what that meant for like what I was going to create, which I don't know. There's like a bunch of TED talks. I'm such a loser. There's a bunch of <laughs> no, TED you're talks not, that I watch I, like at the gym. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm into like, it. Like, I, yeah, yeah. Just like people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. Uh-huh. And I think about I have that written on my wall. Is like, why do we do this? It's like, well, we do it to make people feel special. So that's why I cook. So there's you know trends come and go and and locations, whatever. There's gonna be a hot city this year. There's gonna be a hot city the next year. But why do we do this? Is to make people feel special. So when you can just like make all decisions coming from that then came okay so this is the concept these are the players this is the business plan and then uh i found my investors i think the making people feel special point is particularly fascinating because so many places fail at it yeah um I mean, it isn't easy because there are so many like different needs and wants of of every single person. But when you just know that that's your that's your one goal, like so you can't you can't alter who you are for every single guest. But to make sure that everybody still feels that they're, you know, they're coming out to eat because they want to feel special. Right. Right. And and also that they're spending their hard earned money. Yeah. They're, They're taking time. Which they may feel is valuable yeah. to spend with you. Getting a babysitter. Um, I mean, yeah. Yeah, any number of things. Um, and and it's quite possible, uh, you know, at Lady of the House, that they're, um, it's a special occasion. Right? Yeah. So it's a birthday. It's an anniversary. It's something that, uh, a celebration of some sort. Mm-hmm. Um, so how, and, and I think what's more important is that yeah, there's those moments and you, you probably are notified ahead of time. Hey, it's a birthday. It's a wedding. Is your focus to make everyone, no matter what the situation or what the occasion, feel special? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's we say that we say that in pre-shift. It's just like, just okay. So, you know, restaurant culture is so, sometimes it's so draining and just like, blah, you know, there's this and there's this. And especially when you're in the kitchen. I mean, although I will say I have such an appreciation for front of house folks who, who are just able to communicate, especially at lady, we've gotten a bunch of really great reviews about our service and, and bartends who are just like when so able to communicate what the, the house is and what our stance is, uh, you know, unwavering on whoever the guest is like, you know, people have told us that they're just so fantastic, but in the back, it's really, you know, you don't see anything, but the line in front of you and whatever. So sometimes it can be draining and whatever. And then, 
But then you realize that who you're making this dish for, they've never had these carrots, right? They're coming here and for the first time they have been waiting eight weeks for a reservation. And so we need to make sure like everything is perfect on that plate, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, it's, it's, it's everybody. Right. And I think Corktown where we chose the location is, is also special because that the neighborhood, the walkability, I mean, it's people who have been living there and supporting that neighborhood for so long. It's just incredible. So you're in the old St. Cece's building. Mm -hmm. Um, And that building, if I recall correctly, wasn't available when you first started the kind of ideas of Lady of the House, right? Were there other buildings that you considered? Yeah, there was one I very strongly considered. We had an LOI. Um, letter of intent. Yeah, letter of intent. <laughs> <laughs> and and everything just kept like going wrong, and there are a million things. And I've said before, which again is cheesy, is just like trusting your gut. Which if I had done in some previous jobs of mine <laughs> in the beginning, I probably wouldn't have done them. But uh, trusting your gut about like just like if something isn't, if like all of these things are pointing to. It's wrong. You have to trust that. And it's hard to do that in our industry because we're just so used to fixing problems. Like, that's fine. We can fix this. That's fine. We can do this. No, it's no problem. Like, we'll just smoke the things here instead of smoke them in the smoker. Like, whatever. So you're so used to that that sometimes I think you're blinded to, like, things that are actually catastrophic. (laughs) Um, So, you know, but then... Uh, one of my partners was like, well, this has been for sale for, at that time it had been on sale for a year and like, should we look at it? And I was like, okay, fine. Let's look at it, whatever. But I like, I went to St. Cece's, you know? Yeah. Um, so I didn't re. I thought it was like fake for sale. You know, I thought they were just sort of like, oh yeah, like okay. some, I didn't know the situation. I thought some, someone needed to see if it would sell for $3 million. And if so, they would sell it for $3 million or whatever. Mm. And then we toured it. And they were, and the seller was eager to sell, and we made an offer. And well, we made an offer after other out of town folks made an offer, and we were like, absolutely not, we're not going to let that happen. So, the um, the previous building, if I recall correctly, because I think uh, I think you took me through it once, it was at that old gas station, right? Mm-hmm. And is that something that uh, is it still vacant? Is it still it's still vacant? It's still vacant. Yeah. Are they doing anything with it? Do you know? No. No, not to my knowledge. It needs a lot of environmental work, and I would imagine that somebody who's going to do that kind of work would want to own the building. And that's not that, not, not possible. That was not a possibility <laughs> for us, so we had to, yeah. So throw l- up our hands. Let's talk about um, the. You mentioned the, the the plate of carrots, right? That that needs to be special to mm-hmm. anybody. So you mentioned earlier about uh, <clears throat> connecting through guests connecting to guests with the, with your food. Um, and, and I haven't heard a chef articulate it that way, um, at least, you know, here, here in our podcast. So kind of explain what that means to you and then tell me how you can make, convey that through a plate of carrots. Well, I don't know that you can exactly convey it through a plate of carrots. I think what was important to me with lady was so it's all about the details, right? So every single detail. So it's the detail of where you're getting the carrots, are they are they grown properly? Whether it's you know we do mostly local farms, so it's not necessarily certified organic, but all organic practices just haven't gotten the certification. It's you're buying from somebody who's supporting their family with you know that purchase. 
Um, we're taking the time to prepare it properly. Um, the, the, you know, the, the dishes are, are, you know, inspected and, and picked out personally. You know what I mean? Like we, we each, there were like 10 members of our team who just went around and picked out dishes. And then the other half of the dishes came from our relatives who just said, you know, here's the China, whatever that, that our, your grandmother or so-and-so wanted to give and is just sitting in the attic, whatever. So now it has life to that. Um, I think it's, I mean, obviously I, I want the food to taste delicious. So I'm my worst critic and a perfectionist in that way. But, but I think it's more than that to make someone feel special. They have to feel like I've always said, I want the room to feel like a hug and excuse me, the service to be great and the lighting to be so that like, you know, people want to get engaged there and whatever. And even though it's not like, it's not like high-end room or anything it's like pretty casual i would say i mean i don't know you tell me you've been in the room yeah no i think it's casual i i I don't think we have many i mean detroit as a whole doesn't have many high-end rooms yeah to so to speak well Um, prime and proper is a beautiful ass room yeah yeah that that really is um and uh you know then you have like london chop house and like the the kind of steakhouse and even apparatus room to some extent with the high ceilings and stuff yeah um but for the most part, in any of those places that we just named, you can go in there in the t-shirt and jeans, and they're not going to yeah. turn you away. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, to your point, like the, the kind of low lighting, the kind of warmness of the room. Um, and the service, is the, the service is so important, though. People remember your name. They remember your face. They know what you drink. You know, I mean, that's like, that's the kind of place we're trying to, trying to make. But know? all that stuff is forgotten about for the most part, you know, like... <laughs> It's one of those things where, um, and a lot of that has to do with the the kind of, uh, I think, uh, uh, the um, aggressive pace at which restaurants are opening, mm-hmm. because um, people tend to jump around, like you know, servers and bartenders and um, chefs to some extent, mm-hmm. to tend to jump around from place to place. So there's no ability to form connections. Mm-hmm. Um, is there any way that you're trying to, with your staff, like? Uh, Stop, like kind of halt that tactic and like just keep people on and treat them like the same way you want to treat your guests. Well, there's a, f- there's a few ways to look at that. One is absolutely. So the answer is absolutely. Yes. <clears throat> we think about it all the time trying to figure out, you know, what's something that's going to, you know, how's this person doing? I think, how's this person doing? What can we do that's making them feel supported, giving them all the information for them to do what they do best? Because really they're the experts at in their field, you know? Um, but also making it a positive environment. You know, I will say of places I've worked in the past very recently, the, the, whether it's warmth and, and pleasantry or toxicity, it all starts from the top. Right. So, so that's, that's a commitment to, when you know myself, Christian, whoever walks in the door, that we it's it, it all starts with us, right? So, um, I I have worked maybe one place before where where I knew somebody was conscious of that, and so I strive to always be conscious of that. But I mean, the, the other thing is like if they're making money, they're happy. So then that's another thing is like how do we you know continue to bring in business to stay you know on top of like whether it's beverage or this or this or this, you know, so then, so then operations come into play, right? Cause if, if we're running a tight ship and everything's delicious and everything's, you know, 
constantly innovative, whether it's, you know, beverage or, you know, even just keeping the goddamn bathrooms clean. You know what I mean? Right. Like if if we're setting up those systems and people are making money and happy to be in a place like that, that there's care taken. But I don't know. We've only been open to, you know, two months. I think I, I think that's the key to it moving forward. So, so let's talk about the, the bathroom real quick. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the the, uh, the kind of uh, Im- infamous... Uh, uh, in the ladies' bathroom, you have a yes. uh, what is it? A, a bench with Ryan Gosling's <laughs> face bench. on it. Yeah, with Ryan Gosling's face. <laughs> um, where, where did that come from? And I, I mean, I think I know, but explain well, explain the the genesis of that. Well, the, the, so that was like the last piece of the bathroom. But basically, the bathroom was like we want. I was like, I want these ladies to come out of here feeling like fucking goddesses. Like we, uh, the the lighting that bathroom. There was like three months of conversations and controversy of like it's not great yet. It doesn't make you look beautiful. You know what I mean? Because like a lot of times, if you like walk into a room and there's like ridiculous lighting, you don't feel good. And like I'm infamous for this. Like there, I don't have overhead lighting in my house. It's like either candlelight or lamps. It's you know, it's just like it sets a tone and like sets a mood. So I was like. You know, these ladies need to walk out of here feeling like fucking goddesses and like amazingly beautiful. And that's it. And then, oh, by the way, we're going to have a little bench where they can sit on Ryan Gosling's face. <laughs> and I, I okayed it with my mom, even if she doesn't remember it. I was like, mom, I'm going to have this thing. And she was like, I'm not going to answer this right now. <laughs> so, okay. So there's a lot of uniqueness to, to, to Lady of the House. And I, and I want to talk about your travels uh, and time frame i'm not sure of but like you traveled a lot between um republic and lady of the house or was it mm-hmm. okay so you, you did and you, before republic too and you you spent some time in denmark was yeah. that right at yep. geranium uh it, in or, Co- and um uh relay yeah relay but the restaurant was called was it geranium no it was called relay oh it was yeah. called relay oh okay. yeah. i'm sorry um the so relay uh talk about that experience because i feel like that area of the world is uh pretty highly regarded for food and oh my God. service. That was wonderful. So after I left Rodin and we were still in planning of Republic, and at that time I didn't know 100% if I was going to do Republic. I sort of went to, I knew I wanted to cook in Europe. I thought I was going to go to Spain. At the time there was like a crazy recession and I forget, it was something like 40% under 40 was unemployed at the time and because I spoke enough Spanish and I had gotten a contact who said, no, you should go to, I think the contact I got was for geranium. Uh, somebody that I knew from New York had worked there or whatever. And I started doing more research on, on Copenhagen and I completely fell in love with, uh, what Christian Puglisi, who's the chef owner of Relay, uh, Manfred's, and then now um, I think it's called Best in Maribel. I haven't been back since, but they were in the planning stages while I was there of opening this third place. Uh, and I just fell in love with his philosophy on things, and they had they had two restaurants that sort of shared staff, but they shared ordering. They all came together for family meal. Um, and one of the things he said that I read before I, before I went there was, you know, he was like a lot of chefs talk about their their product is the most important if you, you're no more you're no better than your product but really you know you're no better than your staff and and i was like dude i'm like signing up for whatever kool-aid this is i <laughs> no but i mean he's 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 just he's just a, a wonderful chef and and when i was there you know i i was just so touched by how every single day he walked in 
and shook every person's hand. I mean, I know it's small and stupid, but the dish was every, he just like, just was like quiet and calm and large and in charge at the same time, just like shaking everyone's hand and like making, I don't know, just, just made people feel special. And, and what I loved was that I found things I wanted to bring back. I was like, Oh, this is exactly what I was looking for to bring back to, you know, my restaurant, which is lady. Uh, so for family, you know, their family meal, they had, uh, you know, your kids could come. Like it was just like, oh, this oh, is like a true family. Oh, yeah. It was oh, like wow. you can your, your kids, your wives, your girlfriends, your, you know, your husbands, whatever. Anybody can come during this time. There's always dessert on Saturdays. There's wine. And and then we get back to business. And it was and there's no it's non-negotiable. Like you can't if you're in the weeds, it doesn't fucking matter. Like you're showing up for family meal. So wow. and that and that's amazing. And so we've done that at Lady. I mean, we we don't have children or any or spouses there right now but not to say we can't it's just it hasn't happened right so you, you guys are you're all up for dinner right yeah okay so you have family meal so you have your pre-shift and your family meal um is that something that is, is that a non-negotiable for you to do it every do you do it every shift or do you do we it we do it every shift we pull people even if even if they're in the weeds and they hate us for it. Uh, yeah, but yeah, we do family meal every shift, and then we do the pre-shift in that, and then on Sundays we have dessert and wine, and yeah, before service. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, so th- these are these are types of like I, th- I feel like what what you're getting at is like this camaraderie that. Uh, um, in the past has been like the the kitchen has been like this male well at least the kitchen in the restaurant world has been this male driven uh place right so so now now you're taking you're bringing on this warmth that incorrectly i think is probably categorized as feminine um but you learn this tactic from a guy right yeah yeah um so how do you navigate that space between like operating in this kind of, it's still a male dominated space. So like, how do you navigate that space and operate like with this warmth that, you know, it's like, maybe it's, maybe it comes off as soft or whatever feminine, which is a terrible descriptor. Yeah. I, so I get asked this, I get asked the question a lot of like, well, what do you think about being a female chef? Like what's the difference, whatever. And, and to your point there there appears to be this like this this is like a male way of doing things and this is a a feminine way of doing things and i don't think that they're they're mutually exclusive you know <clears throat> i i like to treat my staff in a way that they know that i support them and care about them but they also know what's expected of them and then you know, and then there are, are consequences. Like it's not a wavering thing, which I don't know if that's male or feminine. That's how the, my mom dealt. So, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? So, right. but it's like, um, and then I, I don't know about, about caring about your employees or, or taking the time for that. I don't know if that's male or I don't know if that's masculine or feminine. It's just, it just takes, maybe it's, it takes thought, I guess, I would say. I don't know that because I know that there are places that I just think it takes thought. Well, right. It, it yeah. just takes like the dedication to and like under. I don't know. 
Yeah, I don't th- know what I'm trying to say. Sorry, I'm fumbling. No, it, 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 I think I get your, I get your, what you're trying to say is that like th- there's this element of, and let's talk about let's talk about hospitality, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, leading up to the restaurants opening and then articles, you you mentioned Irish hospitality, right? Mm-hmm. And um, th- these this thoughtfulness, this kind of like making the guests feel special, all falls under the the umbrella of hospitality mm-hmm. that. You know, and we and we are in the hospitality industry. Though I would argue, many places forget that hospitality element. They just think that once someone's sure. through the door, and it, this is quite true. A lot, a lot of time is that they're going to spend money anyway, right? So th- the fact that they're through your door is like a lot of places would say ninety percent of the job because now they're they're going to sit down, they're going to order something. What the hell's the difference? Which yeah. is wrong. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, but um. So let's talk about uh, that. So how how you get people out of that mode? And I think you get. I mean, obviously, interview when you interview a, a potential server, like you, if they say, like you know, once they're sitting down, once their ass is in the seat, like, <laughs> job's done. You'd yeah. Be like, uh, no. No thanks. Well, I will say that. So we're, one of the things that I've learned is to just try to be as clear to be as direct and clear about who you are and what's what you expect at the very beginning. Like don't, you know, I did that with, and I will say this to anybody with investors, like do not sugarcoat how you are going to be or what you expect or whatever, like get numbers out there and say, this is what I'm going to do. This is what you're going to do. And et cetera, because then that's all out in the open and you guys can move on and be lovely. Right. So that's kind of how I operate with my interviews. And thankfully, like I said, we have Christian who he he runs most of the front of house interviews. But it was like something with and I'm gonna talk about him for a second if that's okay. Christian? Yeah, yeah. please. So we so we were in this wine group together um I feel sometime in the last two years, right? And I had had a beverage guy and then didn't have the beverage guy because of timing and whatever. And we were in this wine group of like amazing people. You know, I was the only chef involved. And so I'm just like drinking and writing things down, listening to all these people talk about wine because I I, I drink wine, but I'm not one of those. So when you say wine group, you're talking about like potential sommeliers and like people studying. So, well, um, so who was it? So it was uh, Rachel Van Til. Uh, from Mabel Gray, it was yep. James Cadario who owns Great Lakes uh, Great Lakes Coffee in Midtown, oh, yeah. but they have an amazing wine program. Uh-huh. Evan Hansen who owns Selden, Dave Landrum who owns Two James, Christian who at the time was running the wine at uh, Wright and Company. Uh-huh. Who else? Um, Lucy uh Carnegie from uh, Roses. Roses yeah who's now opening her thing and doing she's been doing front of house stuff and, Will and does. yeah exactly yep. and I'm I know I'm missing people I'm sorry that's quite a group, though. But yeah, it was an amazing still. group. I think like Joseph was brought, Joseph Allerton from Rose was brought in a couple times. Anyway, we just ended up like, you know, doing, it was a brown bag thing where, you know, you would, there would be a topic and people would bring in a brown bag something and we'd all vote on and then the winner would get the pot of whatever. It was like, I don't remember the price to get it because I stopped going. But <laughs> <laughs> but Christian, I think, still goes and they ha- still have it going on. But at that time, that's when, you know, we were talking about like what we were going to do and have it. Uh, I think it was Evan. I hope it's okay that I say this. <laughs> he was kind of like, so what are you going to do differently? Like after 
Rodan and Republic, like, how is this going to be different for you? You know what I mean? Like, you chose bad partner. He didn't say you chose bad partners, but, like, that's what he was saying to me. It's like, how are you doing this differently? And I was like, well, and I laid it out for him. Like, I'm being very direct up front and upfront about this is who I am. This is the vision. This is what it's going to be. Boom, boom, boom. And then move on, uh, which I had not done before. I had trusted friends and trusted you know, whatever. And like now I'm of the mindset that if you don't get shit in writing, it does not exist, uh, which sucks, but it also sort of frees you of any worry, you mm-hmm. know, if you just like take care of that. And then I started talking about something and, and Christian was like, so who's doing your, who's doing your beverages? And, you know, we started talking, uh, had like meetings for months and then, and then now Christian does all of our front of house hiring and he is so thoughtful and thorough and and it's almost like he sort of weeds out people that would not want to be a part of this just from that interview. You know, like, And he doesn't even have to say, oh, I'm not going to call you back. It's just he's really intense about this is what we are. This is how how thoughtful we are and, and detailed we are about everything. So. It's kind of incredible. <laughs> well, I think a lot of times when I interview people at Acura, it's like I, I'm very excited that, yeah. that they even want to, they even have chosen us to be a potential place where they want to work. Yeah. And then I can tell almost immediately that my excitement and my pride, if, if it like overwhelms them and they're not asking questions and they're just like, they get quiet. It's like, it's not it. You're, yeah. not, you're not it. Yeah. And, and it's really simple because like, this idea of pride and and again hospitality, like it, it falls to the wayside sometimes. Yeah. And and so when you put it up front like that, and I'm sure how Christian does it too, it's like cer- certain people are cut out for it, certain people aren't. So, yeah, exactly. With the hospitality thing, let's talk. What what is Irish hospitality exactly? Like, how would you define it? Well, I mean, because <clears throat> you're you're Irish, right? I am Irish. I'm okay. mostly Irish. Most I have. Okay. Uh, one German grandmother, but everyone else is Irish. Um, someone described, I think I was in Ireland when this was described to me is, you know, the reason that Irish pubs are the longest standing drinking establishment, like almost in history is because when you walk in there, no matter no matter where in Ireland you are, when you walk in there, the barkeep needs to know who you are, where what you're doing there, how did you come upon this? What did you, what's your mother's maiden name? You know, like blah 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 before they serve you a drink. It's like this idea that it's 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 more personal than just getting drunk, you know, which is like what a pub used to be. Uh and I think that speaks to Detroit in general and then especially Corktown and then especially, you know, the space we're in, which has been, you know, five businesses since 1975 or something like that. Um, but then, yeah, it's just like sort of making you feel special. You know, there, this one trip I took to Ireland with my family, we went to the Aran islands, which are three islands off. I think it's the, I think it's the South west coast but i i could be wrong anyway so the southwest coast and they speak gaelic on the only gaelic on those islands but they had this term for so that the mainland kids used to go there during the summer to learn gaelic and they would have a um 
what they called a mother of the house who took care of them, fed them, made sure everything was fine. And, um, but we're also stern with them, you know? And so when we, we actually found that out after we decided on the name lady of the house, which was interesting because it's like this, it's making you feel loved and comfortable, but it's also pleasant control. If that makes sense. (laughs) I don't know. We like say that because we're like, I don't know how else to describe this, but. Um, so th- this, uh, oh, I had a question. That sounded really fucking weird. <laughs> Did that sound Ple- really pleasant, weird? pleasant control? I don't know. Yeah. That sounded really weird, especially the way I said it. Sorry. <laughs> don't be sorry. It's okay. Um, let's talk about the, so you, you made an announcement today on, uh, Twitter, Facebook, like on social media about this, uh, book you're a part of, um, kitchen creativity. Yeah. So, so let, let's talk. Oh my God. So what is I'm this? so excited. So, you know, the Flavor Bible folks, yes. Karen Page, Andrew Dornberg, they uh, they have the Flavor Bible, they have culinary artistry, what to eat, what to drink with what you eat, and a few others. And they were doing, they were researching and doing, um, <clears throat> like writing this book, C- Kitchen Creativity, and they happened upon my, uh, pop, one of my pop-ups in Brooklyn. Karen Page is actually from Detroit, and so we had interacted uh via email and stuff and then i told her about it and they were so lovely and i knew about their book and then they sent me a thing saying hey you're on page 326 and it was just (laughs) unreal (laughs) so what did did you see why like why are you in there um (laughs) excuse me (laughs) yeah they're they did a thing on like Talking about pop-ups and how Noma did one and um, even Grant Ackett's with Next and stuff d- did one just to kind of change, just get out of the regular restaurant stuff and continue to challenge yourself. And then they put something about little old Detroit <laughs> something, you know. So you're you're the you're the photo for what Grand Ackett's is doing. Is that what you're saying? Well, that- I will say on page three twenty six, which is about two and a half pages from the glossary, though. <laughs> I I am the only photo on that. No, is they yeah they came. That's a picture from the pop up that they they came to, and yeah, they're just that's awesome. so lovely. That's great. Yeah. And so speaking of kind of national press you recently was it a couple months ago was it dana cowan that was in town mm-hmm. from yeah. uh from food and wine is that right yeah and so explain what she, you you cooked for for her you had like a dinner or was it like or just how did what happened that was a really cool dinner so i had i met dana in new york a couple months before and then through uh julie egan is a friend of mine and she also hosts these dinners that are slanier dinners which okay. are about uh, food, art, and conversation. Um, so, so we scheduled this one, or sort of planned this one at at Lady of the House. It was prior to our opening, and it was mostly with female chefs slash entrepreneurs in the food world. But there were also some, you know, Dave K was there, um, James Cadario was there um, from Great Lakes and Midtown. Just, just kind of like a. a a lot of people who have had something to do with growing and supporting the food scene in Detroit because it is incredibly collaborative, you know, like they'll I'll still call any of them and they'll call me whatever for support or advice or just even a contact or whatever, uh, which is which I think is unique to 
most cities in the country in the food scene. Uh, so we were basically trying to show Dana what Detroit, what this was like, what she's like, why is Detroit incredible? Like, well, I don't get it. I like love these things, but what is this? And, um, there were just some really badass ladies. Lisa Ledwinski from Sister Pie was there. The Farmer's Hand ladies, Rose's Fine Foods, um, and some farmers as well. Hannah Clark from Acre Farm, Michelle Lutz from Recovery Park Farm, um, Lena, the pastry chef from Selden. So it was just like, it was a really wonderful night of talking about like struggles and triumphs and, and, you know, with, with, I don't know, men and women, but I got just amazing messages from, from some really cool ladies after just like, we need to do this more often, which, yeah. Uh, like I said before, it's, it's historically been like a, a men's, like a man's field, right? Like, so, yeah. and it's, it's strange because you like, I know growing up, uh, my father was very, uh, adamant about, not being in the kitchen to, to, you know, I grew up as the oldest of five, mm-hmm. five uh, men. And, and like uh, n- now it's like, uh, you know, that that's where your mom belongs. And it's like a really mis- misogynistic way of looking at things. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, but then you get, you get professional, you become professional and it's like, oh, well, women don't belong here anymore. This is men. Right. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I'm glad to see the tides are changing. And, and I, I know like, um, these are things that need to be talked about more. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- this area, especially in Detroit, like we have a, lo- a lot of, like you keep saying, like badass female mm-hmm. chefs and owners and, and people that uh, are pushing the industry forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you have the, the vision for Lady of the House, say, in the next year to, to three years? What, what, do you, what do you see happening? Just you're going to keep for- forging on or do you have some plans or what? Um, we're going to keep forging on for sure. Uh, definitely, you know, <clears throat> let's see. We're going to open for brunch soon. Okay. Probably in December. We have this incredible downstairs space that we're going to activate also probably, maybe not till the first of the year, mm-hmm. but that'll be fun. And then the patio in January, the, the patio next summer. And then just keep, yeah, hopefully keep, um, keep ourselves excited and, uh, menus changing, uh, exciting events and stuff. So let's talk about the menu for a second. Um, the the it's kind of like a I don't want to call it international, but like the the the, the uh, influences are pretty wide ranging because you have that egg dish on there that that I, I'm gonna. F- Mess up the, the chow and mushi. Chow and mushi. We call it the cowabunga because <laughs> no one in the kitchen, no one on the line can say it, so we just say cowabunga. <laughs> but that's that's uh, uh, Japanese, right? Yeah. Well, okay. And so you have Japanese, then you have your uh, you have lamb, of course. So mm-hmm. you think you're kind of like in love with lamb. You have a tartar. Mm-hmm. Maybe mul- you have multiple tartars. I, right? Currently, tomorrow there will be four tartars, but there four. were two. There's usually just two. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the more tartar, the better. If you yeah, ask me. exactly. <laughs> um, and so, like, is are these just things that like come to you on a whim, or are they things that uh, do you? Are, is your kitchen collaborative as well in terms of building the menu? Right, not yet. Um, right now, we're. Uh, I, sh- I shouldn't say not yet. There's. 
we're collaborative in tasting and flavor profiles and execution. Absolutely. Um, right now, it's just kind of things we want to cook. You know. How far or, out do you plan the menu? Sometimes it's day of. Like, you know, the things that are on there that are staples, obviously, we we spend a couple weeks on just deciding that this is our opening menu. These are the things that are going to stay, et cetera. Um, but but as a, especially as a season change, the seasons change. Um, sometimes it's day of. Sometimes it's the week before. Yeah. And what, what's been your most popular couple items? Oh, that's hard to say. So we always sell out of chicken. And uh, I mean... Yeah, I would say the chicken. We just physically can't house more than eight chickens a night. We just can't. I'm sorry. So <laughs> what is that? Like, what is the chicken? What? What? Why? Uh... So we do a whole chicken. Okay. Roasted. Uh huh. Um, and then it's served over a challah migas. We make the challah in house, and it's this like really tart, like it's not a gravy. It's just like a jus sauce. And I had this wonderful whole chicken in San Francisco, like probably 10 years ago at this point. And it was, it just tasted like champagne vinegar, like the, the, the chicken, they had croutons or something with it that they soaked. I was like, Oh my God. And then served it with champagne. I was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. (laughs) So I've been dream dreaming about that ever since. Um, so it's this really tart, um, jus sauce. We have maitake mushroom, like buttered maitake mushrooms, um, the chicken, and then cutting celery, and that's it. And, and obviously, that's made to share, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's like six people. Yeah. Six people. Yeah. And you said it sells out every night. Sells out every night. Wow. Yeah. We so, can't, but I just, I can't, you know, we don't have space to have like 20 chickens ready to go every night. No, but, but <clears throat> even so, like if, if you have it, and it's for four to you know four six eight people whatever that that means there's a group of people sitting down and order like yeah. making the choice to yep. eat together yeah which speaks a lot to like the whole collaborative nature of dining which I think is something that even though you haven't said it explicitly tonight is something you probably are yes pushing people towards yeah exactly we have we have a policy and it's not because we just want to do this it's because of, like we kind of have to because of the size of our kitchen that any group over four people you have to have it family style like we just it's we can't serve seven prime ribs at different temperatures and whatever it's just it has to come up family style that's our that's that's how we know the dining experience is going to be the best and then we can execute properly and then and that's really just what we're trying to do is like make it a dining room you know just you know as if you're sitting as if you went to your aunt's house and there's five things on the table and everyone's just scooping and doing your thing, you know? Do, does that mean that they have to order a fixed menu or they get to pick the dishes that come Oh, no, out? they can pick the dishes. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just, well, and then the server, our server's amazing. And then the server will, you know, just sort of advise on how many they think per table. Okay. So there hasn't been any wars caused by that? No, rule. not at all. I mean, we're, you know... It's so it's so like it's so dark and casual in there that you know I need to you know we we very rarely have have issues there. Do you have a tasting menu? No. No. We're thinking about it. I don't know if that's us. I just again I was just like uh, reading. I was reading this essay the other day just about like the nature, the, the power, and just being yourself. And like, I don't know if we can be the best at somebody else. You know, like I don't know if that's us. So that, that that's that's a really like 
astute thing to say. Like, you know, like, I don't, I don't know. I'm not going down that road. Yeah, so like, <laughs> Let's do brunch first. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> this is what we do. This is what we're really good at. This is what I think we're really good at is like the way that our service goes and whatever. So do you love brunch? I love and hate brunch. <laughs> I love the idea of brunch. Obviously, every cook in the world hates to cook brunch, uh-huh. but. Eating brunch is like one of the greatest things in the world. So like part of us saying we want to make people feel special is that we, yeah, brunch is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) When is, when is, is there a estimated time you're going to start that? Uh, I'm hoping it's going to be in December. I'm hoping way sooner than December 15th, but we'll see. Cool. Yeah. Uh, So tell, tell everyone where. Lady of the House is, you, you know, the address offhand? Yes. Go ahead. 1426 Bagley. It's at Bagley and Trumbull in Corktown. Uh, where can people find you online? Ladyofthehousedetroit.com. And are you on Instagram and social media and all that stuff? Yes. Lady of the House Detroit on Instagram and I don't remember the Twitter. Tw- uh, Lady yeah. of the House on Facebook. Yes. Look it up. People need reservations to dine. Um, it's suggested. Yes. Suggested. We take walk-ins though. Awesome. Kate Williams. Thanks for being with us tonight. Thank you. This is fun. Until next time. Dine well, friends. <laughs>